wish I was someone else. I'm worthless. I hate my life. No one understands me. I feel so guilty. Well, Easter is a few weeks away, and this is our Easter series for 2018. We're going to be looking at the Easter story through uh, the eyes of a number of different people who were there at the cross or near Jesus and how they experienced all the events of Easter. And it's important we do that because the Bible tells us that Jesus came to save sinners. Well, what kind of sinners did he come to save? And so each week we're going to be looking at different types of people who were there and how Jesus offered hope and joy and new life to everyone through what happened at the cross and the empty tomb. So if you came here looking for good news this morning, you came to the right shop. I got a truckload of it. So um, I want to have a word of prayer, and we're going to jump right in. Gracious God, I thank you that Easter's coming, and it's not far away now, and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the significance of the cross. I don't want to miss the significance of the empty tomb. I don't want to miss anything. Lord, I just want your name to be lifted up. And Father, I just thank you you came into the world to save sinners. I pray you'll speak today and you'll encourage all of us with the marvelous, this marvelous good news. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Our first installment today, we're looking at filthy, rotten sinners. If it's good news to you today that Jesus saves filthy, rotten sinners, would you say amen? Amen, amen it is. This is a trustworthy saying, first scripture on your outline, Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Paul had a great opportunity everywhere he went to brag on Jesus, and he loved to do it. And he loved to remind people, too, hey, if you don't know if this good news applies to you, I was the worst sinner you could imagine. And the good news is, is that the gospel does apply to all of us. It's good news for all of us. So today we're going to look at a a couple of different people, and hopefully we will see ourselves in these stories as well. First of all, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like Barabbas. To save sinners like Barabbas. If you've not heard of Barabbas, he was a notorious criminal. And he ran into Jesus, or Jesus and he were brought out at the same time in front of a Roman governor named Pilate. And I want to tell you a little bit about that story. First of all, if you're not familiar with how Jesus was crucified, how that all came about... It all happened because the religious leaders of that day were jealous of Jesus. Uh, huge crowds were following him, and they weren't listening as much to the religious leaders who wanted to be the people in charge. Plus, Jesus wasn't interested in political conquests or anything like that. He was interested in forgiveness and honoring God and sacrificial service, and they were into power, political power, and money. And lots of respect that went with all that. And Jesus said that's not what's important at all. And so Jesus was arrested by these folks. And they charged him with blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God. And they didn't believe he was. Even though people were raised from the dead and blind people could see and deaf people could hear. And even though he taught the scriptures with power and authority nobody else had, they didn't believe him. And they wanted him gone. So... They drug him to a late-night trial, and they accused him of blasphemy, and they sentenced him to death. And then they, in the early morning, this would have been on Good Friday morning, they took Jesus in front of a local magistrate, a local governor, 
uh, in Judea at the time by the name of Pontius Pilate. The Roman Empire was in control of the known world at that time, and Israel was one place on the map. And Pilate was there, and he was to keep order and make sure there weren't revolts, make sure people paid their taxes, and honored Rome. That was his job. And so all of a sudden, these chief priests uh, show up with Jesus. They throw him in front of Pilate and say, we want this man put to death. We want you to execute him. We want him crucified. Why? What crime has he committed? And they said, well, he's going around telling people not to pay taxes. You're in charge of collecting the taxes, right? He's telling people he's a king. He's the Messiah. And the emperor in Rome, he's the only true king, right? So, so he's a, a troublemaker, a rebel. You need to put him to death. And so Pilate went and interviewed him and Jesus didn't even say a word. And it became really obvious to him that Jesus wasn't guilty. These guys were just jealous of him. So Pilate was in kind of a jam here. He didn't want to get a riot started, and these guys had the capability to do it. They hated the Romans being in charge, and they were always looking for an opportunity for a protest. And so Pilate was trying to figure out how he could get uh, this situation resolved. It wasn't right to execute an innocent man. And then he remembered that it was Passover season. And during the Passover, he'd had a custom of releasing one prisoner every year just to help the people to show how benevolent Rome could be. So he thought, well, you know, a crowd will be gathering soon. I'll bring Jesus out there, and I'll find the worst criminal I can find. I'll put them on a stage together and let the people choose. And they'll obviously choose Jesus because he'd heard a few days before when Jesus had come into town, huge mobs were seeing him. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were celebrating Jesus. And then they'll choose Jesus. It'll be their choice. I can tell these guys, hey, I tried to help you, couldn't help you, and I'm out of a jam. But that's not how it turned out. Here's how the story went down. Matthew 27. Now it was the governor, Pilate, it was his custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, by the name of Barabbas. It's important to note here that Barabbas was a violent rebel and a murderer. In fact, in Mark's gospel, we find this. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary, who'd committed murder in an uprising. That's Mark 15, 7. In Luke 23, Luke records that Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So he was a rebel against Rome, he wanted to throw off Roman occupation. He was willing to kill to get it and had killed. He was a violent, angry rebel. And he would have brought before, been brought before the crowd in chains along with Jesus, who was also brought there at the time. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Well, what shall I do with Jesus, who's called Christ, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Now when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. 
It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified to keep the peace. Now it's important to note here, ironically, Jesus came to shed his blood for everyone. So the priests and the elders had gotten a crowd all worked into a, a lather and they were just chomping at the bit, going, crucify him, crucify him. Well, and then Pilate brings out a bowl of water, washes his hands. Hey, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You guys wanted this. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And ironically, that's exactly why Jesus came. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. These chief priests, when they go back to the temple, their job was to oversee a sacrificial system where animals were offered over and over again to atone for the sins of their masters, of their owners. You took the pride of your herd, the best of your flock, and you had to sacrifice it to pay the penalty for your sins. And so a man would bring in a bull or a lamb, or if you were poor, you'd bring in a couple of birds. And those animals would die in your place. It wasn't a permanent sacrifice. had to be done again and again. But the blood was from the animal was sprinkled on the altar and sins were confessed. And then some of the blood was even sprinkled on the people to remind them that to atone for their sins, something had to die because the wages of sin is death. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God, without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This is my blood, Jesus told his disciples. Just the night before all this had happened, he had gathered with his disciples to have the Last Supper. And after the meal was over, he passed around a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And so now the very people he came to save, whom he was going to die on the cross to pay the penalty for those sins, were saying, let his blood be on us. And they didn't even realize the significance of what they were saying. I mean, this is why this is such incredibly good news. Jesus came into the world so that his blood could be shed to wash away my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. If that's good news, would you say amen? Amen. Now, the other thing I want you to understand is, is that when Jesus was executed, even the way all the trial happened, even the way the crucifixion happened, all of this was explaining some Old Testament rituals that had gone on for centuries, and people hadn't fully understood what was happening. With uh, this whole exchange between Jesus and Barabbas, if you flip your outline over, it became clear that Jesus is our scapegoat. Now, you may have heard that expression, scapegoat is, you know, somebody at the company, everything goes wrong, and one employee gets blamed, and he gets fired, and really a lot of people were in charge of it. This one took the penalty for everybody else. And you go, well, where does that term scapegoat come from? It comes from the Bible, Leviticus 16. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have to make atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. A bull and two goats were brought in. The bull was sacrificed for the sins of the people, and one of the goats. Because the penalty had to be paid, just as we talked about. 
Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so the first goat was sacrificed in order that the sacrifice might be made. The payment, the death for the sin happened. In order, the wages of sin is death, and the goat died for the sins of its owner. In this case, for the sins of all the people. Well, the second goat, though, was called the scapegoat. And here's how that worked. The high priest, on the Day of Atonement, will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat out into the wilderness, and as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. The first goat was sacrificed as payment for sin. The second goat removed the guilt. Don't miss this. I mean, the meaning of it couldn't be accomplished with one animal. Everything that Christ came to do was accomplished in him, but it took two different animals to get all the significance. One died to pay the penalty. The other carried the people's sins off into the desert where they would never be seen again. So if you've ever wondered, okay, well, God forgives me, but does he forget? Oh, my friends, don't miss this. This is great news. Not only does he forgive our sins, but they are removed from us so far nobody even knows where to find them. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah had written about what Jesus was coming to do centuries before. Here's what he wrote. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. He's the scapegoat. When I confess my sins and come to Jesus, that's what's happening. I'm placing my sins on the head of Jesus. Barabbas had literally committed the crimes for which Jesus was executed. Jesus never led a rebellion against Rome. Jesus didn't murder people. Jesus told people to follow our heavenly father, that they were citizens of the kingdom of heaven. He raised people back to life. He didn't kill people. Yet when he was on trial, he didn't say a word. And so all of the sins, all of the crimes for which Barabbas was, was guilty were placed on the head of Jesus. And he was led out of town to be executed. And Barabbas went free. Well, John, that's not fair. No, that's grace. I mean, don't miss this. This is Easter. You cannot miss this. The guilty man went free, and the innocent man took all the punishment and all the wrath, and all the guilt went with him. Mm. Psalm 103.10. He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Would you read that out loud with me, please? He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Don't miss this either. It doesn't say north and south. That's a long distance, but there is a north pole and a south pole, and you could actually measure it. East and west, forever. That scapegoat, that goat wanders on forever. This is, this is why the good news is even better news than we thought. Not only does Jesus pay the penalty for our sins, all our guilt is gone. 
if, if you come to my office in this Bible, you'll find Psalm 103.10 is highlighted, has a box around it. Because <laughs> people come to me and they will unburden their souls of a dark sin, of a deep sin, of something so painful to me, to them, that they don't even want to confess it to me or anybody else. And they'll sit there and go, oh, please tell me God forgives me. I go, oh, not only does he forgive you, he's not even going to remember this. And we ha- I have them read it out loud. And it's amazing. They'll read it out loud and tears will start flowing from their face and they'll go, I mean, it's gone. Oh, yeah. Barabbas is an exchange. A wicked sinner goes free, and righteous Jesus pays the penalty. Now you're understanding Easter. Jesus is our scapegoat. Point two, Jesus came into the world to save, he'd say, came into the world to save sinners like Barabbas. He also came into the world to save sinners like the two men crucified with him. Don't miss this either. All this was done. I mean, God in his marvelous wisdom allowed all this to happen in such a way that when you understand what's going on, I mean, it, it's all being acted out. All the sacrifices that they'd been offering for centuries, it was all coming now to play all at one time. And it's on display publicly for everyone to see if you just have eyes to see. Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with Jesus. So when they came to the place called the Skull, or Skull Hill, they nailed Jesus to a cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, if you were just somebody coming in from the country and didn't know what was going on, you'd never heard any of this stuff before, I mean, and and you knew about crucifixions because you lived at that time, you would assume that Jesus was a terrible person. In fact, because he was crucified with two criminals and he was in the middle, you'd assume he was the ringleader. These were guys at his right and left hand. This is his right-hand man and his left-hand man. And so when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't just crucified. He was front and center. And if you understand why he came, that's exactly why he came. Isaiah again had predicted this too. That's the note here. The men crucified with Jesus were guilty sinners. And Jesus came to be numbered with the guilty. He poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You can circle transgressor. Transgressor means sinner, means robber, means thief, means rebel. Whatever you want to put in there, somebody who will break an oath, who will break in and steal, who would break somebody's neck. Guilty, a guilty sinner. And Jesus came to be numbered with the guilty. But people didn't understand it. Just like the crowd had said, let his blood be on us. They didn't understand the significance of what that even meant. And people at the cross, the crowd there, didn't understand why Jesus stayed on the cross. Listen to how they taunted him. Well, first of all, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know why he'd come, even though he told them, that he'd come to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, they'd never understood it. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. Ah, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers called out to him, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? 
Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh my goodness. Here's the note. The irony of the whole situation is Jesus could only save us by dying for us. So the very people, even the thief dying next to him, is saying, hey, if you're the son of God, then come off the cross. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. But they hadn't understood all the prophecies of what the Messiah came to do to pay the penalty for our sins. So the very way he was proving that he was the Messiah was by staying on the cross. And listen to what the New Testament writers write about this. Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. He had to die so I could live. He had to be punished so I could go free. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's the greatest act of love ever. I mean, somebody might consider doing that for a really good person, but who's going to do this for the likes of Barabbas or for the likes of these two? Transgressors, lawbreakers, murderers. Who's doing that? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. It was an exchange. He takes my sins. I take his righteousness. He takes my shame. I take his glory. He takes my pain. I take his joy. This is such good news. I mean, people ask me, do you get tired of talking about Easter every year? What are you, crazy? And this is the best stuff ever. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone hung on a tree. And they're, uh, right there, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 21, 23. And that's one of the big reasons the chief priests wanted Jesus crucified. He said he'd be hanging on a tree. It was painful. It was horrible. It was publicly humiliating. And in the eyes of the Old Testament law, it meant that Jesus was an accursed person. And that way, they could end all this nonsense that he was a Messiah once and for all. But little did they understand that's exactly why he had to die that way. And he didn't fight it because that's why he came. Please don't miss this. That brings us to point three. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. Put your name in there. I put John in mine. You can write John in yours, by the way. It's true. He did come to save sinners like John Schmidt. He came to save sinners like you also. Jesus came to save a sinner like me. Can we say that out loud, please? Jesus came to save a sinner like me. Point A, all of us need a scapegoat. I need a scapegoat. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you were going to add up every wicked thought, every careless word, every bad thing, every insult I've ever given, everything I should have done but never got around to doing, 
Oh my goodness, who could even bear to have a list read like that out loud? I mean, you just couldn't bear it. And Jesus came to forgive all of it and carry off our sins and remember them no more. It's amazing. Point B, all of us also need a Savior. Remember, there were two goats, one to carry away the guilt, the other was to pay the penalty. I need someone to die in my place. So do you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He died for you. Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. That's why Paul says this is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst. And point C, all of us must decide whether or not we will place our faith in Jesus. Remember, there were two thieves on the cross, and all this is acted out. This is the same choice that comes to all of us. Jesus is there in the middle. Am I going to confess my sins? Remember the high priest would confess all the wickedness and all the sins on the head of the goat and it was led to take the sins away? Am I going to confess my sins and admit I'm guilty and I'm the one who deserves to die on the cross and ask Jesus to save me? Or am I going to mock him and say, well, come down off the cross then and save yourself while you're saving yourself, save me too. Which one am I going to be? A repentant sinner or a guilty mocker? Which one? And that choice is before each one of us, before we die, we must make a choice. Paul talks about this too. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says at just the right time I heard you and on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, today. And I would remind you, if you have not given your heart to Christ today or you're watching this online, please contact us. Today's the day. That thief only had a couple hours to live. One of them realized that. The other was foolish and wasted his one chance. And this isn't just faith for this life. It's for the next life. Listen to John 5, 24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. It's crossed over from death to life. I mean, think about the faith of the thief on the cross. He didn't, the one who believed, didn't ask Jesus to take him down. This life was done. He said, Lord, just remember me in the next life. Take me home with you in paradise. Our faith in Christ isn't just for blessings in this world. We have eternal life through Christ. A week ago, I was able to um, officiate at a funeral for a friend of mine. Her name was Renee. She was 53 years old. She died of cancer. Mom of three. Left her husband and her three kids behind, obviously, in this world. And um, Although there's grief at her passing, there was also great rejoicing because Renee loved the Lord. Uh, Debbie and I had a chance to spend some time with her. We had She'd been battling some form of cancer since she was 10. Been through radiation, been through chemo, been through surgeries. All you can do. Multiple times. But here's what was so interesting. We got to talk about her passing in advance before it ever happened. And what was so intriguing is, is that Renee and her family verified this. This has been true all throughout her life. She was never upset about the cancer. She got upset about other things, but the cancer, that didn't bother her. 
In fact, when we were talking to her, she said it was actually viewed it actually as a gift. A gift. And she said, oh, yeah. Because people find out I have cancer and I've been through all these treatments and other things and they know I don't have that long for this world. And so she said, it gives me a chance to talk about Jesus all the time. I get to tell them how I love Jesus and in the next world, I'm going to have a brand new body that will never die again. And she said, make sure you say that at my funeral. I go, oh, it's, it's already happening. You don't have to worry, Renee. I got it. I paid good money for my seminary education. I'm good on this one. I cannot tell you what a joy it was to proclaim that at her funeral. I cannot tell you what a joy it is to proclaim it this Sunday morning. How wonderful it is to know that through faith in Christ, I don't need to be afraid of dying. I don't need to fear God's judgment. All my sins are forgiven. He died to pay the penalty in full. All my sins are forgotten. He's the scapegoat. I have the promise of eternal life. Jesus said that if we come to him, today we'll be with him in paradise. If this is our last day on earth... Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is such good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save filthy, rotten sinners like me, like you. A couple of observations to wrap this up. The Barabbas thing is really an interesting deal. His name is really interesting because it doesn't mean anything. Bar Abbas means son of Abbas or son of daddy. That's what it means. Well, who's daddy? Whose son? Peter was like Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. I mean, that's how you identify people. But Barabbas could be anybody. Barabbas could be anybody! I mean, let that sink in. The exchange is available for anybody. And I want to tell you, you come to Jesus today, there are people who have told me they have wanted to see me years ago, and they come and they confess, and they open up their heart, and they get rid of the sin in their life, and they go, I was going to come see you five years ago. I was going to come see you last year, and I didn't do it because... I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to be ashamed or somebody told me not to bother you or whatever it might be. And then after we pray and they read all this and they get out Psalm 103.10 and they go, oh my goodness, it really says this. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, what a fool I was. I should have come a year ago. I should have come five years ago. And Paul says, come today. Why would you waste another minute? Jesus Christ came to save filthy, rotten sinners like Barabbas, like the people who died on the cross, and like me. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, I pray that we will not delay. I pray that we will not hesitate. I pray that we will run to you. I thank you for your love. I thank you you died for filthy, rotten sinners. Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace that saves wretches like me. I pray that's not just a song we sing, but that's a truth we embrace. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would convince us of these things. I pray that if there's someone in the sound of my voice, Lord, who needs to repent, they would contact us today if they're online. If they're here, they'd talk to us before they leave. Not one more hour needs to go without our sins forgiven. 
I pray, Lord, also that you would burn these truths into our hearts, that we might share them with our friends and neighbors who are far from you. The gospel is still true today, and the door is still open. The invitation is still on the table. All who come to Christ can find forgiveness in the name of Jesus. For this we are grateful. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and scapegoat, we pray. Amen.